Amen. You can grab a seat. Welcome, everyone, to Chapel Community Worship. It is great to be here with you all today as we remember who God is and what He has done in Christ and who we are in Him. So good. Hey, a couple quick announcements on Forest, by the way. Quick one is if you're looking for something meaningful to do over spring breaks, you're not, not sh- quite sure yet, we have a couple great options. One is the Young Life Work Week. Go serve at a camp in Central Oregon. It's going to be a ton of fun. Another, and we'll hear more about that on Thursday. You can talk to Catherine, look for the signs around. There's also an option uh, called Put Down Roots. You'll see the posters around or see Isabel in the, in the hub. An opportunity to join with some of the amazing Christian ministries that are doing great work in Spokane. Loving people, changing institutions, bringing hope in Jesus' name right here in our own backyard. And both these trips actually are just the first few days. So you can still do something else at the end. But uh, that one, Isabel, I think, was going to be here. Is she over here? Maybe not. She may be here at the end. But you can look for her at the hub. She's not, if she's not here today. A chance to check that out and, and serve in beautiful ways, enjoying God and what he's doing either way, either place, or somewhere else where you get to go this spring break. If you, if you apply to be a campus ministry coordinator and serve God in the residence halls in that way, they, the sign-ups for interviews are at the back, so be ready. You can check that out. They're by Connie's, outside Connie's window. And many of us have been hoping for some sort of positive legislative solution to the fact that DACA is set to expire or has expired, or would have expired today, except for the court injunctions. And I just want to let you know a couple things. One is that if you're interested in learning more about that, learning maybe pray about that, there's a the Evangelical Immigration Table put out a really neat prayer guide. So you can just Google Dreamer's Prayer, and or there are a couple at the back in the credenza if you're interested. Um, and Ali Nurani, the, he was here, the, the head of the National Immigration Forum. He was here a couple weeks ago talking with Beck, and he has a great little newsletter to give updates. If you're kind of wondering, how do I learn about this? Check out that National Immigration Forum. You can learn there. During Lent, this time as we lead up to, to Good Friday and Easter, we, we remember our own vulnerability and sin, and remember how Jesus took that on himself. And, and in that time, we also want to be ones who remember others' vulnerability and, and pray and act in, in acts of love in, in response to that. And so I want to let you know that, that on the week before spring break, Lexi Chan, our social justice coordinator, is going to be hosting a, a night of prayer for the vulnerable. All kinds of vulnerable. Many of us with many vulnerabilities in our world. So from the unborn to dreamers to many different groups. People and groups who are vulnerable, including ourselves, in the various ways we carry those vulnerabilities. So, so uh, be heads up for that the last, the last week before spring break, that Wednesday night. Let's pray together. God, open our eyes to see the world as you see it and to live accordingly in faithfulness to you and in love for others. Open our ears to hear your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome up to President Beck A. Taylor. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see everyone this morning. Two and a half weeks to spring break, but who's counting? We can make it. Here we go. So, in Asia Minor, ancient Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, there was a city named Laodicea. Laodicea. There was a first century Christian church there, we know. And in fact, Paul knew of it, and referenced it in his letter to the church at Colossae. Laodicea was located on a very busy trading route. Many goods would pass uh, up and down that route, and merchants would come to bring their trade, their lucrative trading businesses. In addition to being a busy marketplace for those transported goods, Laodicea was also known as the banking center for that entire region, And we know that banks then and even now, they make a lot of money. 
The town also had a very successful school where training physicians from all over the regions uh, would come and be trained there. We would call it a medical school. The school's specialty, interestingly enough, was ophthalmology or the treatment of the eye. In fact, there you could find a very effective and very expensive eye powder that was said to have a lot of salubrious effects. Laodicea, not only in addition to having these other lucrative businesses, also had a very lucrative agricultural and animal husbandry trade. In fact, the Laodicean farmers specialized in raising a particular breed of black sheep whose wool was very popular in that day and very expensive. So Laodicea was a wealthy, cosmopolitan, and worldly town. Lots going for it, we would say. Kind of like Spokane, I was thinking this morning. (laughs) But unlike Spokane, the one thing that Laodicea didn't have was clean water, or at least a, a faithful supply of it. The river near the town would often dry up during the summer, with, uh, leaving that town with no dependable water source. So the citizens of Laodicea did what any respectable, resourceful people would do in that situation. They went to great expense to source their water supply from the other towns and cities in that area. To the north was a city of Heropolis. Heropolis was known for its natural hot springs. Tourists would come from all over to bathe in the hot, chemically charged water. And so the Laodiceans built aqueducts to funnel the hot water the five miles that it needed to travel to reach Laodicea. But by the time the water reached the thirsty town, the water was no longer hot, it was lukewarm. The concentrated chemicals in the water would also make the water very difficult to drink. If you took a big gulp of it, unfiltered, it was likely that you would gag and throw up. Now, to the south of Laodicea was the town of Colossae. I mentioned that town. It's where Paul's Colossian church was located. There was a water supply there that was supplied by the snow-capped Mount Cadmus. Alpine quality water. Clear, clean, cold. Again, the Laodiceans built aqueducts to transport the mountain water the 11 miles north that it needed to travel to reach the thirsty city. But by the time it arrived, it was no longer cold. It was lukewarm. So when Jesus addresses the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, the words that he speaks have particular meaning. Let's read that together today. Let's read out loud as well. And to the angel of the church at Laodicea write... The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. Therefore, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white robes to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. 
Listen, I am standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. To the one who conquers, I will give a place with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Thank you. Amen. So unlike the messages that Jesus gives to the other six churches in the book of Revelation, the church at Laodicea has nothing to commend it. Remember the pattern that Forrest taught us on our first day together. There was nothing to commend the church. Jesus had some harsh rebukes for the other churches, certainly, but at least Philadelphia was known for its patience. Ephesus was commended for its endurance, and Pergamos lifted up for its faithfulness. But the pattern is broken for Laodicea. Only rebuke. Why is that? Well, because like the imported waters from Heropolis and Colossae, the Laodiceans were lukewarm in their faith. They were apathetic. They were indifferent. They were listless. They were dispirited. They were lethargic. They were languid. They were indolent. I went through the thesaurus quite a bit to get that list. (laughs) They were neither on fire for God, nor were they in outright rebellion. They were, well, they just were. I followed Jesus now in my own life for nearly 38 years. Over that town, uh, that time, I can count seasons in my life when spiritually I was just lukewarm. I knew the truth. Jesus had set me free from my sin. I was a new creation. But you wouldn't know it from the outside, and you certainly couldn't see it on the inside. During these seasons of my life of lethargy, I didn't pray. I didn't read the Bible. I didn't surround myself with faithful people and communities that would hold me accountable. I would go about my daily routines without once thinking about God or God's plan for my day. I can imagine God, perhaps, during those times saying something like this. Beck, I just don't know what to do with you. If you were hot for me, even if you were making some mistakes, I could work with that. If you were cold for me and in outright rebellion, I think I know how I could return you to me. But this this apathetic approach to life and faith when you know the truth but don't allow it to shape who you are, that I can't stand and frankly, I'd I'd rather have nothing to do with you. You see, being lukewarm, being apathetic, is knowing the truth, but not allowing the truth to guide and direct your life. It's like being given an extravagant gift, but leaving that gift unwrapped in the corner of the closet. Apathy is a killer. Let me give you an example. In the town of Flint, Michigan, Officials learned through some testing of its new water supply system in 2014 that the water it was distributing to its some 100,000 residents was highly toxic. The drinking water contained levels of lead that the World Health Organization and the Centers for Disease Control say could cause permanent developmental disabilities in young children if those children were exposed to the water for sustained periods of time. Despite knowing this truth, 
city and state officials assured the unknowing public that there was nothing to be concerned about. But once the truth was publicly revealed, it was discovered that nearly 12,000 children were exposed to potentially debilitating doses of lead for more than two years. That most of those children were poor, racial minorities, only adds to the complex dimension of this story of apathetic response. Deadly. Irish playwright George Bernard Shaw once wrote, quote, The worst sin towards our fellow creatures is not to hate them, but to be indifferent to them. That's the essence, he writes, of inhumanity. From our text today, we might be able to deduce that as Christians, the worst sin towards Jesus is to be indifferent to the truth that we know. Apathy is not only a killer of humans, as we saw in Flint, Michigan, but it's also a killer of Christian communities and churches. Rather than the, quote, essence of inhumanity, as Shaw wrote, it might be the, quote, essence of unfaithfulness. Can apathy or tepidness be an accurate description of the Western church today? Does Jesus want to spit us from his mouth, not because of our lack of faith, but because we refuse to act on that faith? Are we in the church today indifferent to the claims our faith can make on our lives and others' lives and actions? Are we listless, unknowingly drowning in our own comfort and complacency? Well, perhaps you don't think that this is an accurate description of the church today. But let me point out to you the main reason why the Laodiceans were so lukewarm. Jesus once said that it was easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to inherit God's kingdom. I think Jesus was just using hyperbole to make a point. Jesus says of the Laodiceans, and I'm quoting Jesus here, you say, I'm rich, I've done well, I don't need anything, but you don't know that you are miserable, you are pitiful, you are poor, you are blind, you are naked. Could it be that the Laodiceans' wealth, their comfort, their ease of life, their routine, it blinded them to their own complacency toward Jesus? Now, the Christians in Laodicea had wealth from banking and commerce, indeed. But Jesus says to them, your gold will perish. Buy your gold from me. My gold will make you rich in all of the eternal ways that matter. The Christians in Laodicea adorned themselves in the finest black wool of the day, sure. But Jesus says to them, from me you will receive white robes to cover yourselves, and you will be shameless. The Christians in Laodicea could heal others' eyes with their famous medical eye ointment. But Jesus says, I will give you a healing ointment for your eyes so that you can really see the truth. Praise band, come on, come on back up. Friends, our message today is this. It's to not let our comfort, our relative wealth, our trust in earthly things to cause us to be lukewarm. Not only to God, but to the people around us that we know God loves and to the issues about which we know God is concerned. I don't want us to be known at Whitworth as a people who are cold to God. 
I want us to be known as a people who have the fire of God's Spirit within us. But for God's sake, let's not be tepid when we know the truth. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. You know, Jesus saved his harshest rebuke for the church at Laodicea. And we hear it as a harsh rebuke, even for us today, perhaps. But there are two promises at the end of the passage that we read that I want to highlight before we go. The first is that Jesus saves his rebuke for his friends, for those that he loves. Jesus isn't going to give up on us even when we feel a little tepid in our faith. Trust in him. The second promise that we have is that if we let Jesus in, he's knocking and we repent of our tepid ways. If we seek eternal goods that last and matter and then spread that goodness to his people on this earth, that he will grant us the authority and the privilege to sit on his throne with him in heaven. Amen? Now may the love of God, the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of God's Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Go in peace. Amen.